I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles, or if you have a version app ready to go, you can grab that, and uh, go to Philippians chapter 1 with me, Philippians 1. Uh, if you were here last week, you know we started a brand new series on the book of Philippians called Citizens, and we're actually going back to the same passage that we started in last week. So um, as you're finding your way there, I'm going to throw a phrase up on the screens, and I want you to think about how you would fill in the blanks to this phrase, all right? And, and just be honest with yourself. Don't be lying in church tonight, okay? So how, how would you fill in these blanks when you think about your life? For to me, to live is blank, and to die is blank. Um, as you think about life, what words or phrases come to mind that, that would accurately describe what it is you're getting out of bed and living for each day? And as you think about death, again, what, what words or phrases come to mind as you consider the effect that death may have on whatever it is that you're actually living for? And I'll give you some examples of this, all right? Now, I went ahead and made some assumptions for tonight, and so um, maybe some of these will be true, all right? So for example, some of us, some of us, we might say something like this, for to me to live is is money, and to die, well, that kind of screws up my plans to make money, right? Because if I die, then what happens is I have to leave all the money I'm living for behind. Um, others of us, we might say something like this, for to me to live is power, and to die would be to lose it all. I'm um, still others, for to me to live is fame. I want people to know me, and if I die, well, that means people are going to forget me. Um, others of us, we might say something like this, and, and this one's hard and probably a little more personal, um, but for, to me, to live is relationships. I think we all can probably identify somewhat that, um, that we're here on the earth and that there are people that we love, our, our spouses, our kids, and, and our friends, and maybe for some of us, that's, that's life for us. It's all those relationships, and, and when we think about death, it's really hard because that would mean leaving behind all these people that we dearly love. Um, maybe for others of us, it would look something like this. For to me, to live is pleasure and dying. That just sounds painful, right? I don't want to die. Living is, is too pleasurable for me. That, that'd be an experience of pain. And, and still others, maybe we'd say something like this. For to me, to live is comfort. And to die, it's too uncomfortable for me to even imagine. Don't, don't even want to think about it right now. Now, listen, I'll go ahead and acknowledge that we are starting tonight's message off in a pretty depressing manner, all right? But, but don't give up on the message yet. Stay with me because I want you to understand that I'm asking you to complete this statement for a reason, and, and here's the reason. Because tonight, we're going to spend our time together talking about how Paul who is the writer of the book of Philippians, completed the same statement that I just asked you to complete. And we're going to talk tonight about how his completed statement should ultimately be the same as our completed statement. So let me show you what Paul had to say, okay? Here's how he completed the statement. You can find this in Philippians 1, 21. Paul said that for him to live is Christ. That if he had blood pumping through his veins, breath in his lungs, that life was going to be all about Jesus and everything he did, no matter what. And, and to die, he's going, man, that's even better. That, that's even better. To die for Paul meant, meant gain. It didn't mean losing anything. It actually meant gaining so much more than this world could ever offer him. And, and why was that true? Well, it's true of Paul. It was true of Paul because of what we've already learned in this series See, he was a guy who truly believed that this world was not his home. 
that his true citizenship didn't lie here, but, but instead it, it waited for him in heaven. And so death for Paul meant going home and actually being with the Jesus that his life was all about. Now, I'm going to go ahead and assume that for some of us in the room tonight who, who maybe walked in um, as skeptics, maybe we're new to this whole church Jesus thing, we're, we're here just to kind of check it out, I'm going to assume that this statement for some of us, it's really weird, right? Verging on insane, verging on crazy, like you're already thinking that, that your statement could never be Paul's statement. And, and maybe it's not so much like the living for Christ part that bothers you, Maybe it is, right? I, I don't know, but I would assume that for more of us in the room, this last part is the tougher part. To think of, of death as gain, it's really hard for us to comprehend. And here's why. Because a lot of us in the room, we're young, right? We have families, we've got a lot to live for, we, we have so much left that we want to accomplish in life, and when we think about death, we think of loss. We don't think of, of gain, so this is really, really hard for us to swallow. And if that's you, I'm just praying a simple prayer for you tonight. I'm praying that somehow, some way, that God would move in power in your life and that you'd leave here with a different perspective. Um, now, for all of us churchy people who like walked in and, and we see this on the screen and we're going, that's my verse, right? I love it. I got that on my favorite t-shirt. Um, I brought my coffee cup with me tonight. This verse is, is printed on it. Um, this message is gonna be for everybody else in the room. I don't need this because I've got this down like, if that's you, here's what I would say. I, I hope that's true of you, but, but we'll have to see. And the reason I say that is, is this. Because I think in church, a lot of times, church, we do some weird pe- things in, in church. And churchy people are, are weird at times. And a lot of times what churchy people will do is this. Is they'll take a verse like this out of the Bible. Um, they'll slap it on their lives, almost like a badge of honor, without ever thinking about what the implications of a verse like this truly mean. And I'm just telling you, as we walk through this passage tonight, we're all going to be forced to come to grips with the implications of what this means, and we're going to have to decide, truly, if it reflects our lives. And so, with all that being said, we're going to get to work, and so if you have your Bibles open to Philippians 1, um, I want you to start reading with me in verse 12, all right? Pick up verse 12, Philippians 1. Here's what Paul has to say. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's, that's what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in these verses, Paul is saying that the gospel, and we talked about this last week, the, the gospel message, which is simply referring to the good news of Jesus. This amazing news that the God of the universe who created all of us and his great love for us sent his one and only son Jesus into the world 2,000 years ago to save us from sin, death, and hell through his life, death, and resurrection so that we could be restored back to a right relationship with God both in this life and in the next. Paul's saying that good news is really being advanced because of what's happened to me and, and what's happened to Paul. Well, we talked about this last week, and if you weren't here, here's what's going on in Paul's life. He's sitting in jail as he's writing the book of Philippians. He's in a jail cell in the city of Rome waiting to find out whether or not he's going to die 
all because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he says that him being in jail is actually helping to advance the gospel message in two ways. First, he says that because he's there, the whole imperial guard in Rome now knows about Jesus. And this is incredible to think about, all right? The imperial guard during this time in the city of Rome, it was made up of about 9,000 soldiers. And Paul, every day as a prisoner of Rome, was chained to one of those soldiers. Um, these soldiers, they worked six-hour shifts, which meant every single day Paul had the chance to share the gospel with four brand new soldiers. So you can just imagine how this went, right? Um, new soldier walks in, he chains himself to Paul, and Paul goes, bro, I'm so glad you're here. Let me tell you what's going on in my life, right? I, I used to be a murderer. Um, nobody ever arrested me for that because I was only killing Christians and no one seemed to care. And, and this one day, I'm, I'm minding my own business. I'm, I'm headed to this city to go kill more Christians and dude, Jesus himself meets me on this road. He, he shows up. I thought he was dead the whole time. Turns out he's alive. He meets me, knocks me off my horse, blinds me, then tells me to quit killing his people. And then you know what he does? He makes me into one of his people. And ever since that day, I've just been going from place to place, telling people about the good news of Jesus. And so many people hate me because of it. Like, all these religious leaders, they're hacked off. Government officials, they can't stand me. They want me to shut up about Jesus, but I just can't do that. You see, for, for me to live is Christ. All that matters to me in life is him. So I'm here with you, and I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way and ask you the question, soldier guy, you know Jesus? Have you ever heard the story about him coming to save you from sin death and hell have you ever believed in him and put your faith in him as savior and lord you see that's going on every day four times a day in paul's cell and as a result many of these soldiers um they're leaving some of them having trusted in christ as savior but all of them talking to one another about paul's faith until all nine thousand soldiers have heard the story of Jesus. And look, 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 look. Because that's true, Paul's writing and he's going, it's really good that I'm here. It's great that I'm here. Um, if I wouldn't have landed in jail in Rome, these 9,000 men who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus, they may have never heard it. So it's actually a great thing that I'm here right now. The second way that Paul says his imprisonment is helping to advance the gospel is by giving other Christians more courage to share that good news without fear. Um, Paul's words remind me of the story of a missionary named Jim Elliott. Um, Jim Elliott was a missionary in the 1950s. He had graduated Wheaton Bible College, and then he got four of his friends together, and he convinced these guys to go to the jungles of Ecuador with him to take the gospel to a very remote but violent tribe of Indians who lived there. And so these men, they, they took um, what they could to this jungle. Um, they decided, man, if we don't go, maybe nobody will ever go. And if nobody goes, they won't hear about Jesus. And they show up and, and they try to serve these people. They try to love them. And throughout all of their efforts, they didn't make a lot of headway. And eventually, this tribe of Indians, the Akua Indians, killed. They murdered Jim and his friends. Well, what happened in the years to come was fascinating. A short time later, another group of missionaries actually went back to that same jungle 
to try again. And when they got there, they didn't show up to a violent people who were ready to kill them. They showed up to a group of Indians who were ready to sit down and listen to the story of Jesus, all because of the love and kindness Jim and his buddies had shown to them. And as a result, many of these Indians trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, including the Indians that murdered Jim and his companions. Two decades later, more Wheaton Bible College graduates than ever before had offered up their lives for missionary service because they had heard the story of Jim Elliott. They heard the story of of their fellow classmates who had traveled across the world and laid down their very lives in hopes to get the gospel to people who desperately needed it. And that story gave them so much courage that they decided to offer up their lives for that very same purpose. Now listen, I want to stop and I want to ask... Um, A big personal question. All right, here's the question that I want you to answer for your own life. Do you care about the advancement of the gospel like this? And maybe I'll ask it this way. Would you as an individual, as a follower of Christ, be willing to suffer through anything, even unjustly, if it meant that more and more people would hear the good news of Jesus and have their lives changed by him? Would you as an individual be willing to suffer through anything, even if it meant death, if the result was other Christians becoming more courageous to share the gospel with those far from God without fear? I want you to think on those questions. I want you to just consider them, ponder them. We're going to come back to them in just a few minutes. But for now, I want us to keep reading. All right, so jump back in with me, verse 15. Let's pick up there. Paul goes on, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul says, listen, since I've been in jail, um, a couple groups of guys have shown up on the scene to share Jesus and to preach the gospel message. And he said, one of these groups, they're doing so with with right motives. They love God. They love people. They want to see Jesus change lives. He said, but the other group, their motives are different. They're preaching Jesus out of envy, out of rivalry, and to afflict me while I'm in prison. And, And here's what all that means, all right? I'll explain it like this. Paul He was a big name during his time here on the earth. Um, You heard Jonathan mention Billy Graham earlier. Paul was like Billy Graham, big deal during his day. Everybody had heard about this guy. Um, If he were alive today, he would be that guy that everybody wanted to get to their churches to speak. Uh, He'd be the headline speaker at all the major Christian conferences. That was Paul, all right? So, So there are guys hearing that Paul's in jail, and they start thinking, well, now that Paul's out of the way... Maybe I can be the new Paul, right? I mean, he's not speaking to anybody's church. Maybe I can go speak at somebody's church. Maybe I can be the guy now to go get invited to all the major Christian conferences. Maybe I can just slip in and take Paul's place. And listen, in order to promote themselves in that way, what they were doing is this. They were bashing Paul, they were lying about Paul, and they were telling other people that Paul was in prison not because of his faith in Christ, but because of something questionable he had done. And you know how Paul responds? I mean, it's insane what we just read it. Paul's response is, it's all good. It's all good. I don't need to defend myself. 
it's fine. I'm going to be okay. Those guys out there, they're preaching Jesus. You know what? Their motives might be off, but at least people are hearing the gospel message. And in that, I rejoice. Can we just stop and think about how hard that response would be for some of us in the room if we were in Paul's position? Think about it like that. Like you're sitting somewhere and you've been, you've been accused of something unjustly and then other people start lying about you. How would you respond to that? Some of us, we'd be getting out our iPhones, our, our droids, our computers. We'd be logging on a Facebook, wouldn't we? We'd be going on Facebook rants. Don't believe these lies. Right? These people are, are straight heathens. Um, here's what's really going on. Some of us aren't laughing because we're too convicted right now to laugh. You're like, man, I do that all the time. Um, don't do that, okay? S- some of us, we'd be worried sick about our reputations. What are people going to think about me due to all these lies coming out about me? Some of us, we'd be sending private messages, emails, making phone calls. Me and my jail buddies, we're coming after you after we get out of here because of all these lies. But not Paul. Again, what, what does he say? As long as Jesus is being made known, I'm okay. I'm okay. If he's being preached, I will rejoice. Again, keep that in mind along with the other questions we've already raised. And let's pick back up in verse 18, all right? And this next set of verses, it's going to take us back to where we first started. So read this with me. Paul goes on and he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And here it is, for for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that's going to mean fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So uh, again, think about these questions with me, all right? Would you, as an individual, be willing to suffer through anything, even unjustly, if it meant more people hearing about Jesus? Would you, as an individual, be willing to suffer through anything, even death, if the result was other Christians becoming more courageous to share the gospel without fear? And would you be okay with people bashing you, lying about you, and you just keeping your mouth shut if in the process Jesus was being made known? Look, look, look. The only way that any of us can answer yes to those questions is by believing what Paul believed and captured in these verses that we just read. That to live is truly Christ. And to die for us, it's even better. The only way we can say yes is to look at our lives and to say nothing else matters to me above him. And if I die, that's okay. Because I'm going to go and I'm going to be with him. You see, I love how Paul frames this belief in verse 20. Um, He says that his desire is to never be ashamed of Christ but to always be courageous so that in his life, even in his death, that Christ is always honored. That, that word honored there is translated in other Bible translations as the word magnified. And I love that word magnified because of the picture it paints. And I'm going to use an illustration to kind of bring this to life, okay? Um, what is this, five o'clock people? A telescope, right? And, and what does a telescope do? It magnifies things, right? It, 
it brings what is very distant closer. So, for example, if I wanted to go out and, and look at the stars and look at the planets, I could take my trusty telescope out on, on the back porch on a clear night, and I could look through the lens and peer off into the sky. And all those heavenly bodies, which are millions of miles away, they would appear much, much closer to me because of this instrument that I hold in my hand, right? Um, all you science people, you should get this quickly. This is a what? It's a microscope. And what does a microscope do? It magnifies things. And a microscope magnifies things by, by taking those things which are very small, maybe even naked to the human eye, and making them appear larger than we see them to be. So again, if I was a doctor or scientist, I could take some kind of um, you know, sample and put it under the microscope and look through there, and, and that tiny little thing that I'm trying to look at would look so much larger than it would, would naturally appear to me. Now, in verse 20, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, the desire for my life is this. I pray that in life and even in death, that my life would serve much like a telescope or a microscope for the sake of Christ. Like, my prayer is that my life would become a magnification instrument so that those who are very distant from the Jesus they need would be brought closer. And I pray that my life would serve to make Jesus appear so much larger to those who see him as nothing more than some small, insignificant person that has lived in the scope of history. That was Paul's desire, and why? Because again, church, to live for him was Christ. There was nothing that mattered more to him than knowing Jesus and making him known, and for him, death was gained because he knew he would go on to be with Jesus after leaving this earth. And church, listen to me. Our desire should be the same. If you know Jesus Christ tonight, your words should be a reflection of Paul's words. You see, I think we can all agree that that we live in a world that's filled with many, many people who are very distant from Jesus, who is the savior that they need. And oftentimes, those same people, again, they see Christ as, as this small man. He was a good man, right? But he lived a long time ago, and, and he's not really any different from other good men who, who've lived throughout history. And if you're a follower of Christ tonight, you have to realize that God put you on this earth for a reason. And the purpose you're here, it's simple. It is to make your life all about Jesus, so much so that he is magnified through you and that he's made to to look a lot closer and a lot bigger to those who desperately need him than they think him to be. And at times, listen, I'm gonna be honest, at times, this means life is great. It means God's blessing. It means you're making a lot of money. Um, It means that everybody's healthy. And it means that in those times, you're choosing to live in joyful obedience. You're pursuing holiness. You're serving others You're using all your gifts, your talents, your intellect, your abilities to point Christ or to point those who who need Christ to him. But but I want to be honest. At other times, if your life is going to serve much like one of these instruments on stage, it's going to require suffering. See, there are going to be times in life that are going to be hard, that are going to be tough. And if you want people to see Jesus in and through you during those times, It's gonna require you in those moments of suffering to stay faithful and obedient to Jesus all the way through. And and I know that's tough for some of us to hear, but I think we could all agree that it's really hard to argue about the bigness 
and the closeness of Jesus in someone's life when they're literally walking through hell and still saying, Jesus is enough for me. See, I've never seen that truth more clearly reflected than in the life of a 13-year-old kid that I had a chance to meet at the first church I ever worked at. Um, if you've been around Cross Point for uh, any amount of time, maybe you've heard me share the story of, of my buddy Seth. If you're new here, here's his story. At 13 years old, um, Seth, he goes to the eye doctor um, because he's having problems with his vision. He's having headaches. And the eye doctor takes one look in his eyes and tells his mom, you got to get this kid out of here. you got to take him to the ER right away. Something's not right. So they go to the emergency room. Um, they do scans on Seth's head. And a short time later, a doctor walks in and tells the family that this 13-year-old kid has a terminal brain tumor. I still remember the first time I met Seth. I sat down in his kitchen with him and his mom. We're eating McDonald's. And she was telling me the story of that day, the day they found out. And she said, James, when that doctor walked in and, and told us the news, he looked at Seth and he asked Seth a question. He said, buddy, are you scared? And this 13-year-old kid looked a medical doctor in the face and said, fear is not a part of God's vocabulary, so it will not be a part of mine. See, in the two years that I knew Seth, he passed away two days before Christmas in 2003. In the two years that I knew him, I knew him as a kid who never complained. I never once heard Seth say, God, why me? See, I just knew Seth as the kid who, in spite of everything that was going on in his life, chose to put others before himself every chance he got. I remember Seth as, as being the kid who always served others every chance he got. I remember a week before Seth passed away, sitting in his living room, singing Christmas songs, and this kid, hands raised, celebrating Jesus and his goodness. Two weeks before he died, I remember sitting with him in his living room and asking him, Seth, what do you think you'll see, or what do you think you'll say to Jesus when you see him face to face for the first time? And I swear, like two minutes went by. I didn't say anything. I don't know if he didn't hear me or if he maybe fell asleep on me, but I'm just sitting in silence. Two minutes later, this kid, he looks at me in the face, and he said, I think the only thing I'll be able to say is that I'm not worthy to be here. Seth, at 13 years old, was a kid who could honestly say, for to me, to live is Christ and if I die and when I die, it's going to be so much better because I'm going to be with him. And I will honestly say to you tonight, as, as hard as it was to watch Seth suffer through his life and in his death, Jesus was magnified and anybody that knew Seth had their lives changed forever by the God that he loved. So again, church, I'm just asking you, Tonight, can you say that these things are true of you? Is living for Christ true of you? Is there anything in life that matters more to you than him? Is Christ truly what life is about? But listen, it's, it's again not just enough to make all of life about Christ. There should also be this longing in our hearts for those of us who know Christ to actually leave this world and to be with him. And why should that be true of us? Well, it's simple. Because when you love someone, that's what you do, right? When you're in love with somebody, you can't stand being apart from them. For example, back in 2008, I traveled to Africa for the first time. And I was gone for almost two weeks. 
I was gone over Thanksgiving, right? It's the only holiday I've ever been away from my family. And the work we were doing there was incredible. We, we were out in the bush, and we were traveling from village to village, meeting with village leaders and talking to them about bringing clean water wells to their people. And so the trip was incredible, and I knew the whole time that I was there that literally hundreds and thousands of people were going to meet Jesus because of the work we were getting ready to do. But still, inside of me, like there was this part of me that longed to be back home. And you know why? Because that's where my wife was. And I loved my wife. And no matter how amazing of a trip that was, it was this part of me that, that deeply desired to get back home to be where she was because I'm, I'm in love with her. And again, if you're a follower of Jesus, the same should be true of you as you think about eternity. You see, I know life's fun, and, and we should enjoy it, and, and we should take advantage and, and enjoy all the good blessings of God that, that he gives us in life. But again, no matter how good life may be, we should always desire to leave this broken, sinful, jacked-up world and to finally go home to be with the Jesus we love. So, so again, let me ask you these important questions. Can you honestly say there's nothing more in life you desire than Jesus? Can you honestly say tonight that in the good times and in the bad times that he's more than enough for you? And can you honestly say that there's this longing in you for that day you'll finally leave this world and go to be with him? That you view death not, not as loss but as gain because you know that death means being where he is. I want us to wrap this up. We're going to go back to the scriptures for a couple minutes and read some final verses. Um, read this with me and we'll get ready to close. Verse 24. Paul says, But to remain in the flesh, it's more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, as much as Paul wanted to be with Jesus, he realized as, as he's writing this letter that it wasn't time for him to leave the world yet, that there was still work for him to do. And so he tells his Philippian church, as, as much as I want to leave here and be there, it's more necessary that I stay here with you in order to help you in your relationship and your walk with Christ. Now, in light of that, here's the question I want to ask us. Can we say about our lives that it's necessary for us to be here? That it's necessary for us to stay alive and to remain in the flesh on the earth because we're helping so many people meet Jesus and grow in their relationship with him? Or, or like, let's say maybe you moved away. Moved out of this area. God forbid something terrible happened and, and you left the world. I pray that doesn't happen right now. Let's just say it did. Would all of us in the room like think about you and, and have nice things to say? But when it comes to the mission and the purpose God has given us, would there be no hole there, right? Like what I mean is this. Like, are you that person that if you left tomorrow, would the rest of us here at this church be going, I can't believe he's gone. He was doing so much to get the gospel to people who needed it. And, and man, it was so necessary for him to be here with us. And, and he's gone. And we feel his absence as a great loss to what God's called us to do as a church family. 
I can't believe she left. I can't believe she moved. She was doing so much to help people grow in their walk with Christ. And man, because she's gone, there's such a hole. Like, is it necessary for you to remain here again because you're helping those far from God meet him? Are you helping those who love Jesus grow in their relationship with him? See, at the end of the day, that's the one big reason all of us should have for wanting to remain here on the earth. That's the one big reason God doesn't just save us and suck us up into the sky, right? He leaves us here again for a purpose, to let our lives be magnification instruments for the sake of Christ so that others are helped, others meet Jesus, lives are changed for eternity. Now, for those of us that are going, well, James, what about my kids and my wife and my family? I mean, are those wrong reasons to want to be here? No. They're not wrong reasons to want to stay alive. Like, personally, I want to be alive a long time so that I can watch my daughter grow up. And I'd love to be like the 90-year-old dude still smooching on my wife one day, right? Like, barely hanging on my dear life. But I hope I'm here a long time. But what I'm saying, though, is this. Those reasons can't be the main reasons we want to be here. You see, the main reason we want to be here has to transcend those reasons. And it has to be for the things that we've talked about today concerning Christ. Can you honestly say today that to live for you is Christ and to die is even better? I want to invite you all around the room just to bow your heads and to close your eyes with me. And uh, I just want to ask you, like, if there's anything distracting you, let it go. Uh, if there's something big happening after church tonight and it's on your mind, just, can you just forget it for a few minutes? And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask you a series of questions to consider as you sit in your seat by yourself. I want you to answer these. First, are you someone who knows and loves Jesus? Like, not do you know about him, not do you kind of like him, but do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? And do you love him with everything that you are because you understand at the end of the day just how much he loves you? Like, when you think about the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, are you blown away and captivated that the God of the universe would love you enough to send his own son into the world to live the life you should have lived, to die the death you deserved, and to ultimately raise from the dead so that you could be saved from sin, death, and hell? Like, when you think about that, does it cause you to be more in love with Jesus? Do you love him? Second question. Are you making life more about you or more about Jesus? Like, are you someone who gets out of bed every day and, and spends more time trying to figure out how you can do what you want to do and live how you want to live? Or, or are you that person striving each day to do what Jesus wants you to do, to live how he wants you to live? Do you care more about people seeing you or seeing Jesus in you? And lastly, are you busy trying to make this world your home? Do you spend all your time, your energy, your efforts, your resources on trying to make this temporary earth as comfortable, as pleasurable, and as entertaining as possible? Or do you understand, like Paul understood, that, that this world is not your home, but instead your true home and your true citizenship 
is in heaven. And in light of that truth, are you using all that God has blessed you with to invest back into his kingdom so that the difference you make with your life long outlives you? If you walked into this room tonight without a relationship with Jesus, but you know you need one. You've been living life your way for far too long. And tonight, you want to be done with that. You want to be someone who can honestly say that, that to live is Christ, to, to live for me is, is about living the life that God created me to live. And, and you want to see death as gain. You want to know that when you leave this earth, that you're going to go on living forever in the very presence of God. If, if that's you, I would invite you right now in this moment to say something like this in prayer. Say, God, God, I, I admit that I'm a sinful person. God, I failed to, to be the person that you've created me to be. But God, I believe you still love me. And I believe that you proved your love for me 2,000 years ago when you sent Jesus into this world to live the life you created me to live, to, to die on the cross for my sins and to raise from the dead so that I could be rescued from death and hell. And God, tonight I, I'm saying to you, I put my faith in Jesus and what he's done for me. I believe that good news. And, and God, forgive me, rescue me, save me, make me a new person. And God, give me eternal life with you. God, for the rest of us in the room, I, I just pray, God, that if we're busy trying to make this place home, God, help us to wake up every day and have a different perspective. God, would you remind us and convince us that our home is with you? And God, would you help us to make decisions every day that, that reflect our belief in that truth? God, help us to never be comfortable here, but to always long to be where you are and to live our lives in preparation for that moment we eventually see you. God, if we're busy making our lives about us and Instead of Jesus, God, help us to see that. God, give us courage, give us boldness, give us faith. God, whatever it is that we need, God, so that, so that people see Jesus in us before they see us. God, that's what we need. That's what we, we want. And so, God, help us to be those people. God, my prayer is that you would just move in power in this place. I pray that your spirit would fall. I pray that you'd send us out of this room different than we walked in, God, and we're trusting you for that. God, we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who is always more than enough for us. Amen.